yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Man, it's set up perfect in the Smoothie King Center, right? The Los Angeles Lakers come to town, no LeBron James. We know Anthony Davis isn't built for this type of game. Pelicans, Lakers don't like each other. Brandon Ingram's coming back. Home crowd. Get a chance to make some movement in the Western Conference standings. It all sets up perfect. And we even had Mr. Positivity himself, Ali Cassell, on the show yesterday. Well, that didn't matter. As the Lakers come into New Orleans and absolutely drub, drub the New Orleans Pelicans in one of the more embarrassing games we've seen all season from the Pels, and we've seen plenty, plenty of terrible games from the Pels this season. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside... The Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Eisler. I gave him the title yesterday. He's living up to it. By the way, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. If you're here in Acadiana, you can also catch us on the simulcast, which is on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Of course, we want to hear from you. The game hotline is always open. 337 706 That's 337-706-0111. Got a great show for you lined up on this Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. We'll be talking Saints later on with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He'll give us his reactions to the free agency moves that have happened for the Saints and other teams that have poached Saints players, the latest one being the Red Rifle, a.k.a. Crawfish, Andy Dalton signing with the Carolina Panthers. We'll also talk Raging Cajuns men's basketball tournament as they gear up to take on Tennessee. Jay Walker, who typically joins us at 8 o'clock, will join us a little early today at 7.30. Obviously, he's over in Orlando getting things ready for tomorrow night's game, so we had to readjust our schedule a little bit for that. And, of course, we'll talk all things LSU. Baseball team keeps rolling. Can't wait to see what they do against actual baseball teams. They're great. They should get to Omaha. But right now, we really don't know anything about the LSU baseball team. We just know they look really, really good against mm, bad teams. 
We'll talk that as well as the LSU women's tournament with Mr. Higgins, the AKA the Mad Dog. So typical three guests like we always have on a Wednesday. But we're going to start off things talking about those New Orleans Pelicans, a.k.a. the Pelicans. D'Lo said the threat level of worrisome is at a 3.7. I still think we're there. I think we're trending to get a little bit higher because inexplicably, You have the Lakers come to your house, a team that you hate, a team that you always get up for. They don't have LeBron James. And you let Anthony Davis punk you and absolutely just dominate you. He scored, what, the first eight points of the game for the Lakers? They they, they had no answer. He just took over. And then the Lakers were shooting three-pointers as if they weren't being defended. Willie Green made no adjustments, none that mattered. Brandon Ingram, back from the injury, he gave him 20-plus points, but it really didn't matter, did it? Because this team was awful. It was the largest halftime deficit in Pelicans franchise history. I'll say it again. The largest halftime deficit in Pelicans history against a LeBron-less Lakers squad. This team looks lost. This team looks lost. It was the third largest Lakers halftime lead in the shot clock era. They couldn't make a shot. They looked like they didn't understand how basketball was played. Because this isn't against the Denver Nuggets. This isn't against the Milwaukee Bucks. This isn't against the Golden State Warriors. This was against fighting to get into the play-in tournament Lakers team with no LeBron James. Garbage. Garbage. And I keep getting told, RP3, man, the soft part of the schedule's coming. I've been hearing the soft part of the schedule's been coming since before the All-Star break. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for them to actually play basketball, to win basketball games, to actually look like a competent basketball team. Because they didn't look that way on Saturday when D'Lo was in the house of them Smoothie King Center because they looked awful then. And everyone got excited because they turned it around against a Damian Lillard-less Portland team. Who's not a good team anyway, by the way. I didn't get excited, just for the record. You didn't get excited. That is that is factual. Yes. My man did not get excited. And then you get absolutely punked by the Lakers. How am I supposed to believe that this team, the way it's constructed, the way they play, the way they are coached, the, the effort they give, the execution they display, how am I supposed to be confident that this team is going to beat the Rockets? Because that's where they're at. I keep getting told, oh, don't worry about those two Rocket games and the game against the Spurs, Ray. They're going to turn it around. They're going to finish strong. 
What have you seen from the Pelicans in the last two months that, that suggest that this team, as it currently stands, is capable of winning two games back-to-back? What suggests to you that this is a franchise that can put together a four-game winning streak? I'll wait. An embarrassment. An absolute embarrassment. They're supposed to play better games at home, Dawson. They looked lost. They look like a bunch of amateurs out there. It was that poor of performance. And I know it can only get better, right? They can turn it around. We can be glass half full guy if we want to here. Sure. We'll say that. But Anthony Davis comes into your house and gets 35 and 17 and made it look easy. Made it look easy. I wasn't even worried about this game until I get a text from my man across the way here inside the FCO Development Studios. He goes, are you watching the game? I go, oh, no. I go, oh, no. So I stop what I'm doing. I turn it on, and I'm like, gross. It was just gross. It's gross to watch. This is the product you're giving the people in the city of New Orleans and the Gulf Coast? Is this? This is the type of effort you're giving the fans? Well, when Zion comes back, first of all, even when Zion is at his best, he's not Anthony Davis. I hate to say that because I know we all want to hate Anthony Davis because he forced his way out of New Orleans. He ain't AD. He's definitely not the defensive player Anthony Davis is. And AD's list of accomplishments, I don't believe Zion's ever going to get to because he can't stay healthy enough to even try to get there. Neither can Anthony Davis, so no, I don't like that argument. Zion's not the player Anthony Davis is, period. He's going to be if he stays healthy 100%, not even a doubt. Anthony Davis, he doesn't even have to stay healthy, actually, because Anthony Davis hasn't been healthy his whole career. What has Zion suggested to you that he's on the same level as Anthony Davis? He scored at a pace that we've almost never seen from a rookie. I mean, he's done things, when he's on the court, he's done things that haven't been done before every time he's been out there, 100%. Availability matters. But that's the I'm saying that you're using Anthony Davis, who's just as unavailable. And Anthony Davis has been in the league 10 years, so yeah, you've got more sample size, but he's been just as unavailable as Zion. Just as unavailable. So he's missed 75% of his career through four years. Because last time I checked, Anthony Davis hasn't missed that much time. No, but he's he's been close. I mean, again, if you give Zion 10 years, I'm sure that'll level out as well. You're using with a much smaller So you believe size. that Zion Williamson is going to be an eight-time All-Star, a four-time first-team All-NBA player, a second-time NBA All-Defensive first team, two-time All-Defensive second team, three-time NBA blocks leader. That's what you're telling me that he's going to be. If he plays as much as Anthony Davis has ended up playing throughout this point in his career, 100%, I think he'll be just at those accolades. I'd now, love to know. I'd love to know what y'all are smoking. I, I really do. I know y'all want Zion to be better than Anthony Davis. I, I, y'all want that. You, you want to wish it into existence. But a guy that 
I haven't seen be on the court more than 25% of his career through the first four seasons doesn't get to be compared to a guy who's been one of the best players of his generation. For Sorry. the record, you compared him, not me. I just countered your comparison. Oh, you just want to poke the bear this morning. Okay, okay. No, but, but that's, that's the go-to. Oh, he's going to be better. No, you want him to be better because you traded picks and were able, you're trying to do a rebuild because Anthony Davis left town. There's nothing that suggests that Zion Williamson is going to have the career and the length of the career that Anthony Davis is. And you're right. AD's always nicked up. You're exactly correct. Always nicked up. Yet, he still performs. And he still plays more games than he misses. And Zion Williamson does not do that. He just doesn't. As much as you want him to and as much as people want him to, it's not how it works. Just not how it works. By the way, I'm looking here. AD missed time last year. Only played in 40 games last year. Had the injuries last year. But I'm looking at his career. Uh, 60 games started, 66, 68, 61, 75, 75, 56, 62, and then 36 in the COVID season. He's got 10 years of sample size. And again, what I'm saying, Anthony Davis's first year in the NBA when he played 64 games, he averaged 13.5 points a game. Zion's first year, he averaged 22.5. Zion's first full season where he played 61 games, he averaged 27 a game. Anthony Davis was at 20.8 in his second year. How about Zion's defense? That's okay. That's fair. But, I mean, I'm telling you, Zion's – on a different planet offensively than what Anthony Davis was at this point in his career at this age and through this amount of progression. I'm just saying, like, I don't – I thought that was an unfair shot to take. I don't think – look, Anthony Davis is 29 years old. Let's check back. Zion's 22. Like, we'll see. Give him seven years. We'll see if we're still doing the show together seven years from now, then we'll have that conversation. Let's see if Zion's even walking in seven years. Let's see if he's even in the league in seven years. The Zion – I'm going to start calling y'all the Zion cult because anytime anyone's critical of Zion Williamson, y'all come after me every single time. How dare I be critical of the golden child, the savior of the New Orleans Pelicans? All I did was get mad that you used Anthony Davis, which was he's like not the as good worst. of a player as Anthony Davis is. He's seven years younger. Through the first four seasons of their careers, Anthony Davis is a better player. Yeah, but it's a conversation for sure. How is it a conversation when Zion doesn't play? Anthony Dawson, didn't play that's, that's, either. That's, Dawson, 60 games, 66 games, 68 games, 61 games. I'm, I'm understanding that. What I'm telling those, you those is... Those are actual numbers. Those are facts. That's not, that's not an opinion. Those are facts. Anthony Davis, through the first four years of his career, played more, was more of an impact player than Zion was. Because you know why? Because he played more okay. and he plays better defense. Thus, making him a better player. It's not a hard argument. You can talk about one that well, he, he has potential. The argument that he played more and therefore was more impactful, I'll take. The argument that he was a better player when he played is I will not take. How? Zion scored at a clip that we have never seen a rookie player score at. Like He did things that we have not seen done from a power forward in the NBA. He put up 27 points a game over 60 games as a forward in a league that's been guard-driven for the last however many years. I just, I'm just saying... I'm not the biggest I'm not a Zion apologist and I know he's got to play and if he doesn't play then he might never be anything but when he's played he's been transcendent and I just don't think we should say all of a sudden that Zion's never going to be the player Anthony Davis is when he plays he's a top five player in this league is what you're telling me 
Maybe not top five, but I don't think Anthony Davis is top five either right now. I didn't say that. I asked you about Zion. You I'm said not transcend- say top five, you, you, but close. You, you, I'm, that's your word that you used. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't okay. mean top five. It's a different word. Giannis is certainly transcendent. He's up there. Jokic is transcendent. Doncic is transcendent. So I would put those guys ahead of Zion, sure. Oh, thank God you said that. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm just thanking God that you said that Giannis was a better player than Zion. Okay. It looks like we have to get to a break. <laughs> Can't be critical of the Pelicans. I, I'm only People critical did. of the Pelicans, though. You know that. Can't be critical of Zion, rather. I can be critical of the Pelicans, but anytime I got group texts that I'm on, anytime something's mentioned about Zion, everyone gets so defensive because everyone's so emotionally invested in this guy being the savior of the New Orleans Pelicans. So emotionally invested. It's as if I'm talking bad about their mama. It's a basketball player who doesn't play basketball games. Period. Got to be able to play. Last time I checked, to win a basketball game, you have to have basketball players that play. Just putting that out. Just putting that out. Got to take a timeout. When we come back, I want Dawson's reaction to other news involving the city of New Orleans. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. thinking about that monster truck giveaway i got ramped up early in the first segment this morning poor d-lo didn't know what to do he's just like why is he so mad why is he so angry my apologies d-lo I, I hope i didn't i hope i didn't no i scare think it, you. i think it, i think it builds the relationship further <laughs> you know what i mean now like i the problem is a lot of times when you're yelling about the pelicans and what other people are saying to you i'm the one sitting here and i know i'm not the one saying most of those things so it kind of builds up the frustration for me to sit here and be like, I haven't been telling you it's fine. I've been saying they suck for a long time now. Oh, man. I get it, though. I get it. And I'm not saying that you say this, but I know a lot of people out there really want the Pelicans to be good, right? And they want Zion to be healthy. And, and I get it. It'd be great for the city. It'd be great for the state. It'd be great for the Gulf Coast, right? It, I, I get it. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think the poor, the, the poor kid's body is going to allow it to happen. We've never seen anyone built like him before that plays the way that he plays. And when we see those unicorns, if you will, is the buzzword we like to use in the last few years, Dawson, they, they typically don't last, right? They, they, they're, like a, they're like a comet. They're here and they're gone. And I just don't know if the poor kid's body is ever going to allow him to actually play basketball the way he wants to. I just don't think it's going to happen. It's fair, and, and it's, it is it is certainly fair. Now, I will say, 
the comparison, if you want to go that route, is not Anthony Davis. It's Joel Embiid, who didn't play in his age 20 season because of a foot injury. Didn't play in his age 21 season because of a foot injury. Didn't he miss his entire – didn't he miss a year in college too? I believe so. Right. And then he did not – he played 31 games in his age 22 season. Then 63, 64, 51, 51. And now he's played 68 and then 54 this year. So Okay, that's fair. Embiid right. is the comp who is 28 and has now made uh, six straight All-Star games and has been in the finals of the MVP voting several times. So Different body type. Right. Different skill set. Um, but if you're talking about injuries, or I, and another cop injury, would be Blake Griffin early on, too, who missed a ton of time, right? And people are like, this guy's never going to yeah. play. So we've seen it here recently, uh, even though I think Zion has a better potential to be a far better player than Blake Griffin was. Um, but Blake Griffin could dunk, right? And that's what Blake could do. And Beats averaging 33 a game this year. I didn't. He should be in the MVP that. conversation. Well, he is, and I, I think he he ultimately is just going to lose out to Jokic again, though, and that's the problem. But Jokic is that guy. Um, but um, 33 a game. Did not realize that. Haven't watched a whole lot of Philadelphia basketball this year. I can't lie. If you could get him to be 75 percent of what Embiid is, I take that. And look, even if you're the Pelicans, even if you could get the guy to play 60 percent of the games a year. He doesn't have to play 80% of the game. You'd love him to play 80% of the games. Well, and that's certainly the Anthony Davis model is, now, not, to, is not to play 100% of the games. And well, Anthony, the body's breaking down now on the 80. That, that's also well, what's and, going on with Anthony Davis. His body's starting to break down. But again, down. He, had, he had a two-year stretch where he was mostly healthy. But other than that, he's still, he always, he's always missed been more up. than 20 games in his career yeah. basically every year. So, yeah, that's – now, the other thing about it is nobody plays 80 games anymore in the NBA. No one does. Nobody really plays seventy five, and like they're not going guys... and, and they're not going to moving forward. By the way, yeah, if you're a plus level player, now there's maybe going to be a couple of things that the NBA does, and we've seen a couple of things quietly kind of passed over the past couple of weeks about the uh, you know awards voting have to play in a certain number of games for this and that, and so they're going to try and move that back the other direction a little bit, I think. But yeah, if you're a top, if you're a high level player in this league, you're I think your the goal now is to get you around seventy games a year, regardless I, of injury. I do worry about that I understand why they're doing that they're well they're they're not going to do it they're talking about it let's let's elaborate more on what you just said there they're going to try to make the like MVP rookie of the year the the big time awards in the NBA there's going to be a requirement for games played correct that's what they're trying to float around out there which is the NBA's very passive aggressive way of trying to get its star players to play in more games because we're seeing this more and more with load management, which is a term I hate. Load management in the NBA where guys are taking time off and we're having more and more occasions of star players taking time off to rest because the postseason is so long, right? And the, you know, the cat is out of the bag, the genie's out of the bottle, whatever, you know, analogy you want to use. That's never going to go back. So now the NBA, because they have allowed it to happen, and, and it started with the Spurs with their, their load management, what, 10 years ago now. It's been around for that long. Now the NBA is starting to be like, well, hey, you have to play so many games if you want to be winning these awards that essentially are incentives in your contract, right? So they're trying to get them for pride purposes to play more games and also financial purposes because so many of the contracts are built in if you're an MVP candidate or if you win the MVP, you get a $2 million bonus or whatever it is. 
you know, part of what maybe could have helped that situation is not making the postseason ridiculously long and then adding on to it over and over again. And personally, and I mean, and I, I kind of joke about that, but the seriously, goes on too long. The, I don't understand. I've never understood why the first round of the NBA playoffs is a seven game series. And I guess I get like that's the best way to decide who the best basketball team is out of seven games and you kind of get less fluke results and stuff. But I don't think any, I would not be crying at all if we had a five game series to decide the first round of the playoffs. I wouldn't even care if it was best of three. And also, talk about you want the drama. How about a one seed that goes down 1 0 in a three game series? How about also you and I are in agreement. We hate the play in tournament. I think it's ridiculous. It's so dumb. It's it's. I get why they did it. It was a knee-jerk reaction during COVID. You finally get the season back, and you you have it there at Disney World, and you're like, hey, let's try to get as many teams as possible to get people excited as much as possible to watch NBA basketball in front of, you know, cardboard cutouts and, and television screens in an empty gym. I, I get it. It's a money thing, of course, as it always but is. But it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I, 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 I hate expansion in all the playoff formats and like you look at North American sports models is kind of its own thing right in soccer you you know you play a season long and it's a point system and the champions decided on that like there's no oh at the end of the season we're going to take the top six teams and, and battle it out in a tournament which I think North American sports are great because of playoff action like that's a unique thing that kind of separated the NFL and you know Major League Baseball and things so I don't think it should go away but I liked when in Major League Baseball, like you had to earn it. You you either won your division or you were the best team otherwise, and that's how you made the playoffs. And then they added the wild card. And it's like okay, you know. And and then they added a second wild card, and then it's a third wild card. And now it's getting to the point where it's like okay, as long as you're a decent team, you're going to be in, and you can have a chance to get hot and win the World Series. And that's how it certainly is in the NFL now, where, you know, I thought twelve was the perfect number. Twelve out of thirty-two teams, you get two buys. It's pretty balanced. I thought it was a perfect format. I I loved everything about it. And now they add it, and now it's 14. And now you have almost half the teams in the league. So, again, and if you take a look at the teams each year that have been added to the playoffs because of the you know extra wildcard spot, the first year it happened, it was the Mitch Trubisky-led Bears, and they played the Saints. And oh. it, was, it was a team where I sat there and said, this is, the te- this is what you wanted, right? This is the team that you felt you had to add a spot for. The Mitch Trubisky-led Bears that couldn't put up 10 points on the Saints. <laughs> and so... I, I just I hate that they do it like that, and the NBA has already for a long time been where more than half of the teams made it when it was sixteen out of thirty. So this was a league where already you took below average teams and put them in the playoffs, and then they said we need more than that. And what frustrates me, uh, I'm frustrated about that as well. I'm it's full of frustration on this home day edition of RP3 and Company. Apparently, I also hate the NBA in the multiple days off in between games when we get to the playoffs. Like you have stretches where there's two or three yeah. days off, and I'm I like, get why? It when you're traveling, why? I get it for the travel purposes. You have a travel day, but why do you need like? I yeah, just... but then the other thing too, and and that's again like, and I understand in a way that they're going to say it's for competitiveness because now teams are less likely to tank because like we're sitting here with the Pelicans sitting there at 33. But like in all honesty, this Pelicans team belongs nowhere near postseason play, right? They should be sitting at home. They don't deserve to be around postseason. And play. there's still a pretty good chance that they're going to at least play in a play-in tournament game. And I, you know, like I personally don't. I'm a fan of the team, and I don't think they deserve it at all. And if they play in it, sure, I'll watch it. And I guess that's part of the problem. They know people are going to watch it regardless. But like, if the Saints went six and eleven next year, would I really want to watch that team play playoff games? And I guess I shouldn't say that because they almost did it at seven and ten or eight and nine this year. Um. But I think also winning the division is a little bit different story, right? I just don't I, – I hate that we do that. And 
I wonder when it stops. Like when the N- you, you got to imagine it, it won't be too too long before the NFL goes. Hey, man, we could probably add a couple more playoff games and make some more money, and they might do oh. it. And Major League Baseball did the did the eight team thing, which in baseball is really the one because if we're gonna let all these teams in the playoffs, then what is the point of playing one hundred and sixty two games to then just say? Almost everybody's in the playoffs. Let's just re-rack it, and y'all go back at it again. And in the NFL, we've expanded the season and ex- expanded the playoffs. <sighs> That's there my rant is. for the day. I'm going to try and calm down the rest of the show. <laughs> we are salty this morning. We are salty this morning, man. we got to take a time out. We didn't even get to the news I wanted to get to. When we come back, we're going to talk Saints, the latest Saints news. We're also going to unveil the foodie poll question of the week. That's all next right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Michael Thomas, he's definitely coming back. I'm going to let someone who's got two degrees try to explain this a little bit more. What's funny about that, I actually have three, but I make, my, but he's but he's the boy genius. Yeah, there we, let's start talking about that. Huh? <laughs> well, I have two associate's degrees. I don't think that really counts. <laughs> I have sports degrees that kind of balance out. You cross them out, it's like division, huh? You, those cancel out and you just throw them aside. So Michael Thomas was already under contract, correct? This was already a done, but he was under under contract. They had restructured his deal, so that way when June 1st came, they could get rid of him or trade him and not take such a ca- uh, salary cap hit. They converted base salary into signing bonus money. But then he signed a different deal yesterday, a one-year deal. Explain so, it to me yeah. because I'm... I was told there'd be no math. So I think what, what essentially happened here is that they took the original deal and restructured in such a way that it basically voided the contract. They basically wanted a fresh start. So I think what that allowed them to do, and I don't know how serious they were about bringing him back at the time, but I think, number one, it was going to help them with the cap situation. And then I think it kind of opened the doors to kind of giving them some flexibility involving Michael Thomas. Um, I certainly think the Derek Carr signing had something to do with Michael Thomas coming back, and I think the timing of that... Absolutely, yes. So I I think essentially when they voided that contract, they said, if we're going to bring you back, we're going to just kind of draft up something new here that's going to work for both of us better financially and, you know, as far as everything's moving forward. So I think that's essentially what they did. And what Michael Thomas decided to do is basically take a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, a ten-year deal up to, worth up to fifteen million, uh, including incentives, and one hundred percent put the ball in his own court at the end of next offseason. Understanding that he hasn't played in a while, and teams probably wouldn't have given him what he thinks he deserves, so he said, "I'm going to play one year, and then I'm going to make an absolute huge fortune if it goes well. And if it doesn't go well, then I guess he'll be right back in the same situation he was anyway, right?" So I think that's what Michael Thomas is doing. I think for a Saints fan. You love the way this deal's structured. Like, okay, is the only downside maybe he leaves after next year? Sure. But again, we thought he was gone a couple months ago anyway. Like, we had already moved on in the breakup. Well, if, for two years, right? It, there, there's well, yeah. talk about him leaving 
the prior year as well. So, so I mean, and and the fact that he agreed to a deal that's only ten to fifteen million dollars—that's a team it helps friendly you this year. And again, it's a proven deal for him. But what you're also going to get is a 100% locked-in, motivated Michael Thomas because he has Absolutely. no choice otherwise because he has Absolutely. to earn the next contract. So from a Saints perspective and a Saints fan's perspective, you should get a great player this year. And if look, if he's hurt this year, again, I don't think it's ever been about desire to play with Michael Thomas. It's been no. documented that he played through the injuries in Drew's last year because he felt he owed it to him. He had an unfortunate run. Does he act a little childish on social media sometimes? Yes, but I think there's far more players in the league that have far bigger problems See some of the guys in the NBA right now that are suspended indefinitely, right? There's a lot of guys that are way more problematic than Michael Thomas. I think this is a great deal for the Saints. It's a great deal for Michael Thomas. He makes your offense immediately better, and he, and he again, I still want to address the receiver position because they need depth moving forward. Look, I, I want to I ask you about But it takes pressure that. off. I do want to ask you about that because Denver is openly shopping. Reports are that the Denver Broncos are openly shopping wide receivers Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and K.J. Hamler. Does Russ, does Sean yeah, what's Payton... What's going on there? Like, I, so, if if the reports are true, two uh, their two best wide receivers, they're wanting to trade. Why? Yeah. I'm, Why are you I taking weapons away from Russell Wilson? Unless Sean Payton goes... We're going to be a running team because they did get uh, uh, the, the running back uh, on a two-year deal, Panay um, or Pernine. I, I forget. Samaje Piran. Thank you, thank you. Names are hard. Math and names are hard. So maybe that's their direction. But well, if you, I mean, uh, look, there's wide receivers out there, not great ones. Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are not great wide receivers, right? I would even say Lazard is not a great wide receiver, and reports are that the Jets have reached a deal with the former oh, Packers would, wide receiver. I would take Judy and Sutton over Lazard, so yeah, I would agree with that. Right, So, but there's obviously guys out there. I don't know what the Broncos' philosophy is here, trading away young pieces, but maybe it's not Denver, but do you still make it a priority to go out and get yourself another mid-level wide receiver to add to the mix yeah and and I would uh I would certainly want to add one in the draft I think that's kind of been my sentiment the whole okay. time too I, I like a lot of the guys in this class um as far as the phys and now I've also only been really focused on the physical big-bodied receivers because I was anticipating not having Michael Thomas now that he's in the mix now you can go back to kind of just taking the best wide receiver available in in, in a certain spot if you're in the right okay. position to do so the Broncos thing, I, I'm really confused on this. The only thing I can think of, and it was brought up to me by my dad, so shout out to him for this. Oh, shout out to Papa Iserlo. You remember when Sean Payton got to New Orleans? He kind of he ran some guys off, right? That didn't yes. kind of fit the 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 mindset and the mold that he wanted. Joe Horn was one of them. Now he was in the twilight of his career, but there were other guys too. Like Sean kind of reshaped that roster in his own image. So my only thought is maybe the but again we haven't I haven't heard anything bad about Cortland Sutton ever really. Jerry Judy had some issues off the field at one time but you haven't heard of those guys being, you know, they're not they haven't had Odell Beckham like instances right where you could say, "Oh, well that's why he wants to kind of reshape the roster like and that." Didn't, so and 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 like Judy actually came out publicly and defended Russell Wilson about yeah, his so, leadership and stuff like that. I think Cortland Sutton did too. So I don't know, man. Like and, and who does 
you know, who does that leave on that roster? Tim Patrick, I guess, who's a guy that's, who's had some nice flashes. He's but like, had some nice flashes, but that's and it. And Sean should know more than anyone how, how difficult it can be when you don't have talent at that position. And maybe part of it is because, again, we've seen Sean over and over again, his dedication to guys like Keith Kirkwood. He's he's felt like he can make it work with other guys, and at times it's worked, but that's also because he had Drew Brees, and at times it didn't work even when he did have Drew Brees. So I'm puzzled as as puzzled as you are. But with that being said, yeah, if Cortland Sutton's available for and, and I don't the price tag supposedly oh late round draft pick. I don't know if any of that's true, and I don't think because I if you can get Sutton or Judy or a player like that for a fourth or fifth round oh, pick, well, you, you do, you it, do all day it right long. now. Yeah. You, you, but you I think any long. team in the league just about would right. So so that's right. where I'm confused by that, and we'll kind of see where that goes. But yeah, that one did not make sense to me. I thought I thought this Broncos offense. The whole point, I thought, was that they felt like they had a lot of the pieces already in place and they just had to make some kind of scheme changes that Sean was going to bring in. Well, now it seems like maybe he's thinking we're resetting this whole thing. And, and well, I don't know. I wonder if we if something comes out and kind of denies those reports or uh, or if, I don't know, maybe he trades them both. Now, maybe he's wanting to get receivers back, like in a one-for-one type deal. Guys, he sees fitting the scheme more, but it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Judy felt like the perfect receiver to pair with Russell Wilson. But... Maybe not. I don't know. Free agency. It's heating up. It's heating up. Foodie poll question of the week is what we do on Wednesdays. It's always our poll question of the day. What's your favorite non-salad green vegetable? St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Everyone likes to do things that are green. We're all trying to eat healthier. A lot of us are trying to eat more healthier during Lent. So we've never gone vegetable here on the foodie poll question of the week. So what's your favorite non-salad green vegetable? Everyone usually says salad. Is it spinach? Is it collard greens? Is it green beans? I already know how Foot's going to answer this. Or is it none? No greens for me. Go vote on our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What's your favorite non-salad green vegetable? Spinach? Collard greens, green beans are none. No greens for me. Right now, green beans is dominating. The green beans is dominating this poll question like Anthony Davis dominated the Pelicans last night. 65% of the vote so far. 15% for collard greens. 15% say none. And only 5% for spinach. Keep those votes coming. We'll keep sharing your comments throughout today's show. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, Raging Cajun men's basketball team departs heading over to Orlando for the NCAA tournament. We'll hear from Coach Bob Marlin next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on James, who's been patiently waiting. James, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, man, I wanted to talk Saints because the NFL season never ends. It doesn't. Uh, <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah, I'm fired. I'm fired up for the draft. I'm all in. The Pelicans, you know, they, they lost me. I've been rooting for the Jazz, you know, because I want two ping pong balls in, in the lotto there. But... As far as the Saints goes, I hope they can get one of these young wide receivers. But, you know, up in Denver, I've been following Peyton, and it's like everything else. It's all about the money, right? 
Jared Judy's on the last year of his rookie contract, and he's about to be an unrestricted free agent. And they just paid the other guy, uh, Sutton, uh, like a, a four-year, $60 million deal. And, and he's got like a quarter of a billion-dollar con- contract up there on a quarterback, right? So I think he's got he's in salary cap hell, and he's trying to be Mickey Loomis as well as be the coach. So it's interesting to see how things play out there, but I think there's some pieces that maybe the Saints can pick up as well. But uh, just your thoughts on all that, right? It's all about the money. You just got to follow the money when it comes to the NFL. It's a good point, James. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day. You know, the Judy thing is interesting. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. Maybe you've made a decision after you've assessed the roster with the front office that Judy's not going to be part of the future. And you go, okay, let's let's see what we can get for him now. Even though you spent a first rounder on him, what, three, four years ago, maybe you decide to move on from him because you know you're not going to be able to pay him. Yeah, that's an interesting angle. Um, I, I hadn't thought of it that way because you, you got to remember, too, Sean Payton not only inherited this roster, but he inherited their contracts, and he didn't have a part in those, right? So Correct. The Russ one, I think, is kind of impossible to move on from, although oh. Sean probably would love to. And the Walmart family's already told you that that's who owns the Broncos, mm-hmm. that they're not going to move on from Russ. But so, so maybe it is a matter of um, of shedding those contracts. But Judy, you'd imagine maybe you'd at least, you know, with this, he's got a fifth-year option, I believe, right? So I don't know. As a first-rounder, he does, yeah. Yeah, so that, that, one's, that one's a little mm. more unique than Sutton. Hey, if uh, Denver wants to get uh, rid of any one of those guys, I'm pretty sure Saints fans would be happy to take them. <laughs> Just add more depth. Hour number one in the books, hour number two. We'll kick it off. We'll talk some Raging Cajuns. That's up next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company 703 on this chilly Wednesday morning. Appreciate you making us part of your morning. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, the big, bald, and beautiful one. Of course, I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D-Low. We've had an eventful morning so far. We got in, in an argument about Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson earlier, which really wasn't an argument. We actually kind of agreed on all of our points, but we were both fired up this morning. That's the type of energy we bring to RP3 and company. That's what we do around here. We come, we're fired up, we're ready to go. Pels got trashed by the Lakers last night, by the way. A LeBron-less Lakers. Woof. Woof, woof, woof on the Pelicans. Pelicans, that's where they're at right now. We also talked about Michael Thomas. He and the Saints agreed to a new deal, a one-year deal. Basically, a deal that's going to allow him to hit the market and get himself a nicer deal, a bigger deal. He's going to get paid between 10 and $15 million. Team-friendly deal for the Saints. They get that big contract off the books. And Thomas is excited and committed to playing for New Orleans. And if he can stay healthy, that's a game-changer for Derek Carr and what the Saints want to do. We dove deep into that as well. And, of course, 
our poll question of the day, which on Wednesdays is always our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite green vegetable that isn't a salad? Can't use salad. Is it spinach? Is it collard greens? Is it green beans? Or is it none? You're not a savage. You don't eat vegetables. Could go that route as well. Keep those votes coming. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, we'll share them throughout today's show. Right now, it's time for us, though, to head back out to the game hotline, which is 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Welcome on, Reynolds, who's been patiently waiting. Brother, good morning to you, man. What's on your mind, my friend? Morning, morning. How are you doing? I'm fired up today. I'm ready to go. I got no reason to be fired up, but I just am. <laughs> it's just one of those mornings, man. I, I I thought I was have to drive over to Delta Media and and, and separate y'all. <laughs> no, we have I a good mean, time. Delo, you got to get you some boxing gloves. Y'all head out in the back and get at it. Well, the th- the funny thing is, again, in the in the in the break after we did, we kind of realized we're pretty much agreed on what we were saying. We just kind of had different ways of. <laughs> Six oh five. Yeah, six oh five comes early, man. <laughs> it comes well, I, early. I, I tell you what, I have a Saints question, but All you right. asked about green. I'm gonna go off the reservation. Oh, me and my wife. I'm, I'm gonna blow your mind now. All right. Roasted roasted Brussels sprouts. Bruh. Ooh. I'm not gonna disagree there. I'm a huge Brussels sprouts fan. Bruh. Oh, you gotta but, convert yeah, me. Not your, not your grandmother's Brussels sprouts. Where they boiled. I yeah, take yeah. mine, I cut them into half-fresh Brussels sprouts. I use uh, my uh, pecan-smoked um, olive oil that I make. Oh, yeah. And then I saute them, saute them with garlic and onions. Oh, man, they're good. So, Reynolds, what you're telling me is that you have the ability, the skill set as a chef, that you can take anything that tastes pawbon and make it taste good by the way you cook it. Uh. Pretty much, but uh, okra, no. That could go in the trash. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to try that. Also, I have some of that oil, too, by the way. Shout out to Reynolds for that. Okay. All right, bud, what's your what's your, what's your your other question? Well, you know, you haven't. no one's talked about this as far as the Saints. We don't have a freaking running back. What the hell are they going to do about running back? <laughs> They're not going to have Kamara. They're probably not going to see him again. <clears throat> He'll probably be in the clink but no matter how long. You know, what they're going to do? They don't have no diddly squat as a running back. What the heck are they doing in free agency? Well, I think they're going to go after someone in free agency, but uh, when we post my mock draft today for the Saints, because all of us here on the station are doing mock drafts for the Saints leading up to the draft, and our mock draft 1.0s are going to be unveiled today. Dawson and I's will be unveiled later on today. And – I'm going to take care of you because in the third round, I have them taking the young man out of Texas A&M at running back. So um, my mock draft has two running backs in it. A little sneak peek there. Oh, I'll say so. So we're going to take care of you now. Will Mickey Loomis listen to us, Reynolds? Probably not. <laughs> but, but yes, well, yes, yeah. They they have to address running back, bud. That is a, a number one priority in my book. Yeah, I like that running back from uh, UCLA and oh, Texas. Yeah. Is the is the is the one from UCLA coming out? Yeah, he's coming out. I know you're talking about he's going to be available in the second Charbonnet or third round. Like yeah, Charbonnet. Charbonnet, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. going to be – I like him too. He's uh, good. In my mock draft, he wasn't uh, – the, the kid from Texas A&M was, was still available, so I had to grab him in my mock draft. Yeah. I like, I like <laughs> bruising backs. I like just get up there and just try, try to tackle me. So, 
hopefully they'll do something. Uh, that's the biggest glaring deficit I see. There you go, brother. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day. Y'all have a beautiful day, man. Can we talk a little bit about our mock drafts? Because you, ours are done. We're going to post them on social media later with our video explaining our picks, which I've already confirmed with social media uh, coordinator, uh, Hannah Five Names, that she will be doing that later. Do you want to dive into our mock drafts here a little bit? Yeah, not? yeah. Well, we'll certainly have to leave some for the imagination, right? We're not going to need to tease this here because you're going to have to check out the video to see the full results. But um, Correct. I'll say this. This is how I'll preface my mock draft. Um, I know the, the, the platform we're doing them on, I think, is like the PFF thing, so they're going to attach a grade to it, but that's based on the PFF grades and they're kind of how they grade the prospects. And uh, don't pay attention to that because they might have given me an F on my first-round pick, but that's because I'm projecting out a player. And I, I give you my logic in there. But So that would be how I preface it. I'm not taking players based on their big board rank. I'm taking them uh, you know, based on my projections of how they're going to play out. And also something you'll see with me is – and I kind of said it in the video, um, I think NFL GMs and scouts, they like to draft players that they're familiar with and they've had a chance to scout over and over again. So you're going to see, for me, some of the players that I've seen play more in college, uh, at least after the first few rounds, because I have a general, a good kind of you know consensus of maybe the top 75 prospects or so because I've kind of followed those guys as, as everyone has. But once you get past around the, the third round, I like to yeah. take guys that I've kind of seen play more, so you're going to see that in my mock draft. And now, luckily, um, I don't get paid to actually draft players, so obviously, if that was the case, maybe I'd have a more wide range of prospects to choose from. We both drafted interior defensive line in the first round in our mock drafts. and I you, think- you took a guy that I'm high on as well, but I couldn't pass on the guy that fell to me in my mock draft. Do I really think that can't see from Pittsburgh is going to be there at 29 no there you go revealing it I thought we were going to leave it up to (laughs) the (laughs) sorry that's a tease that's a tease but no we both took defensive line okay I'm also looking at yours we also took running back in the first three rounds as well we won't say who but we did take it we you and I very much kind of drafted on what we think the Saints' real needs are, I like your I like your mock draft though. I like your mock draft, and don't pay attention to the grades either because I think that's ridiculous. By the way, Matt and James drafted the same two players in the first and the second round in theirs. It just happened. No, it didn't. <laughs> You're not kidding, fooling anybody. I do think. Now that you got the quarterback, you got Michael Thomas back, you could go get you another wide receiver via trade or in free agency. Obviously, D-line is now priority number one because you don't have anyone left on the roster. Yeah, and I'd actually, not to jump in here, but <laughs> so. I uh, I would be even more prone to take a wide receiver now in the draft knowing that you don't have the pressure of that guy necessarily having to come in and produce big time in his first year. Uh, you don't have to take a first-round guy like Olave last year and say, here, you're the starter. You can now take a guy uh, and say, look, you're going you're gonna to play some, certainly, but we've got Mike Thomas, we've got Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave, so you're not going to play every down, and you can kind of take your time in your development. I need to see more from Shahid because my worry is, is, is I love what I saw from him. My worry is that it's going to be that small sample size that's going to uh, make us believe that they're going to be better than they are, uh, uh, you know, a.k.a. Callaway, right? So I, I need to see more, but I think he has the potential to be really, really good. I agree with you. I would love to see them take a wide receiver 
second, third, or fourth round. I really like the kid from Ole Miss. And I think he could be a really good fit for what they do. He could be a day two guy that's going to be available. Mingo, right? Or Yeah. Um, I really like him. I like what I see from him. And I'm going to throw somebody else out there at you. And it, it won't happen. What if Kayshawn Butte falls to day two, which I think he's going to do? What if you can get Kayshawn Butte in the third round? Do you take him? I mean, there, there's question marks about him, right? About deciding to opt out the way he did, how he dealt with the coaching staffs, how he dealt with the team. The combine performance was, ooh, it hurt him. It hurt him bad. Yeah, it would concern me. I, I think that's one of those situations where if he falls enough, you can you can certainly justify it because, because he, the be, talent and the upside and right, the ceiling. Be, right, and he becomes a point, value guy. At that point in the draft, you're drafting on ceiling a lot of times anyway, and he certainly has that. But, yeah, he's not going to go where he originally could have went because the floor is now way lower than you originally thought it was going to be. Right? Correct. So that range of outcomes is a lot larger than at one time we thought with him. But if you're the Saints, obviously – you look around, you go, okay, quarterback's taken care of. We got Mike Thomas coming back. Still need to add a wide receiver. Running back D-tackle. Like, it's got to be running back D-tackle. And at, at in my mock draft, which we'll post, and I, I'm probably going to adjust my mock draft, and we'll keep adjusting it based on what they do in free agency as well. That's the part of that, right? Because when we did our mock drafts late last week, we only knew about the Derek Carr situation that that was done. You know, the other things about all their defensive line being poached away, we didn't realize at the time. So we'll, we'll probably make adjustments with our mock drafts when we do them every week leading up to the draft. But you got to go and get some D linemen. You just got to. Now, they can probably do that in free agency, but that's got to be a priority. Yeah, and of course, the, the cool thing about these mock draft simulators is that it's, you know, the CPU is, is acting as the other 31 GMs, and they change their logic every time you do it as well. They take different guys. Correct. So that kind of gives you a different look. Again, the next time, you know, you already I'll, I'll, you know, already said you took Cansey. So the next time you do that, there's a good chance Cansey won't be available because he wasn't in mine. So that's, that's kind of the cool thing as well about these mock drafts and kind of giving you different angles. Of, Correct. And in and, and, and a couple of the ones I've seen, like, you know, the Panthers took Stroud, but a couple of them they took Bryce Young, and I'm sure in some of them they take Richardson. So that kind of gives you, okay, if this is how – and then the dominoes start to fall, of course. Well, if the, if the Panthers took this guy, how does that change the other GM's perspectives? Now, for the Saints, again, it's interesting because they don't need the, pri- the high-priority, high-priced players. So they should, in theory, get top-level talent at the positions that they need they're if they draft get, by their needs. They're going to get themselves, with their first, second, and third-round picks, they're going to get three starters. That's what they're going to get. Now, they may not be sexy players, right? It's going to be a D lineman or an offensive lineman, a guard or, you know, a linebacker or something like that. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, though, how it goes down. And, you know, for the Saints. Also, a shout out to the rest of the NFC South trying to compile teams filled with former Saints players. Andy Dalton, of course, Kevin Foote's favorite Saints quarterback of all time behind Bobby Bear, that's a joke, is now headed to the Panthers. So he's going to be the bridge guy, which tells me that Frank Wright and company, because that's actually a, what, a one-year deal with a second-year option, just like it was for the Saints. 
that tells you what, Dawson, that they're going to roll out Andy at first and they're not going to rush their rookie quarterback that they're drafting. Or it at least gives them that option. And that's kind of the thing that I presented you know, yesterday when I saw it. I thought maybe this somewhat increases the chances that they're taking Anthony Richardson because we all agree he is the least ready of the guys up there. So he is the guy who you would certainly think that maybe needs some he's time. the least ready but he has the most freakish athletic ability right and so them. and so maybe signing Andy Dalton and giving him a, a legit contract like they gave him real money of course it's backup money but they gave him money maybe that indicates that they're kind of leaning in at that that direction now that doesn't mean that for sure because certainly I would I would still want to have a guy like that whether I took you know Andrew Luck in the first overall pick I just I just personally and also my philosophy on drafting quarterbacks is never to roll them out week one like, maybe you have that once-in-a-generation guy, Andrew Luck's maybe the only one in recent Joe memory. Burrow. Yeah, but even then, I think Burrow would have been, if you'd have been able to kind of build that offensive line around him, you'd have been okay with putting him out there. But yeah, Burrow was certainly ready you to and play. I, right, you and I are in agreement. I'd rather have the young quarterback sit and learn how to be a pro. And Dalton's a good guy that you can learn from. He can teach you how to be a leader, teach you how to lead, be in the locker room, teach you how to prepare, because the young guys don't know how to prepare for the NFL because they've never played in the NFL. And and think about the generational talents at quarterback we've seen in the past kind of, you know, in my, you know, my era of watching and following the NFL closely. Aaron Rodgers sat. Patrick Mahomes sat. Tom Brady sat. Right? Peyton Manning played. He was an exception. Brett Favre you know? sat. Brett Favre sat. Like, and so some of the generational talents, like, and now it works both ways. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Drew Brees sat. Yes. So... I like that model. There's been a couple of guys who played right away and were successful, but I think it takes a special kind of guy to be able to be thrown into the fire and not have his confidence hurt or physically get injured and things like that. So I'm always a fan of starting a veteran quarterback, and we'll see if, if that's what Carolina's you know leaning towards doing. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. When we return, Raging Cajuns depart for Orlando. We'll hear from Bob Marlin. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Again, we've embraced the challenges all year. We have certainly pulled together celebrated each other's success and and they're ready for the big moments they enjoy those moments and uh, we've played well at times in the crunch and uh, we didn't play our best game in south alabama i'll give them some credit in the first half but we did find a way to win that basketball game so i think we have a lot of intangibles also that are, that are hard to put your finger on but some teams have and some don't and this team has it Raging Cajun men's basketball coach Bob Marlin talking about how his team has embraced the challenges of the postseason. I like this team's chances. And not because they're the local team. Once again, I want to make this perfectly abundantly clear. I did not attend LSU. I did not graduate from LSU. I did not attend UL. I didn't graduate from UL. I didn't attend McNeese. 
Okay? Didn't graduate from McNeese. So, but I like this team. I like this team's chances. They got Jordan Brown, who has NCAA tournament experience. He's a veteran. He's a leader. Terrence Lewis II, veteran, leader, has tournament experience. And I know Themis Folks doesn't have NCAA tournament experience, but he does have JUCO tournament, national tournament experience, right? I think this team is built for this moment. Does that mean that they're going to win tomorrow night when they play Tennessee for, what, the fourth time in a postseason tournament, the third time in the NCAAs, once before in the NIT? No. I'm not saying that. But I like their chances. They got guys that can shoot the three ball, which helps. Themis and Greg Williams and some of the other guys. Kobe Julian can give you buckets, right? Jordan Brown's a presence on the inside. That's going to be a good matchup with the big fellow from Tennessee. They're a veteran team. And what we've seen in the NCAA tournament, when these mid-major teams play a team from one of the big boy conferences and they're the lower seed, how do they typically take them down? They take them down because they're a veteran team that have played together for a while and they can force turnovers and they shoot the three ball. The Cajuns can do all of those things. And they're a veteran team. So I like their chances. Plus, Tennessee under Rick Barnes loves to be eliminated in the first game of the NCAA tournament. And he had a lot of early exits as well at Texas. Remember, he coached Kevin Durant and they couldn't get anywhere in the NCAA tournament back in the day. So Rick Barnes is known for early exits. Even though he's a good coach and they do very well during the regular season, they always flame out in the postseason. So I like their chances. I like their chances. Yeah, and so um, well, while we're doing full disclosure, I am a UL grad. Um, but sure? I think about from, from a game-to-game basis, I think I'd probably be about as unbiased a UL fan as you can find as far as someone who can separate the moment from my fandom, right? And okay. I think I think I'm pretty good at that. And so for this game, you know, there's a couple of things that I do really, really like. And I've already mentioned a couple of times my roommate is a Tennessee grad, so I've been going back and forth with him. He kind of, <laughs> you know, he asked me for my scouting report on UL yesterday, and then he kind of gave me. So we kind of exchanged notes, so to speak. And um, you know, his his big thing was, look, Tennessee's a great post interior defensive team, which kind of you know interestingly counters Jordan Brown, um, and they're also pretty good at defending the three. But he said their biggest issue in this past you know month or so of the season is they don't have a any sort of offensive rhythm right now, and they're really lacking a true point guard. Of course, their point guard as well is injured. Is so injured. That, that's Correct. certainly a factor. And so, um, you know, it, another thing that I've I've said from the beginning, I don't use this a lot. The only time I use it whenever I go into something with a preconceived idea of what I think the Vegas line will be, and then I see what it is, and that's kind of like if there's a big difference in what I thought and what actually the the line is. I take that into account, and I don't even really – I don't bet, but I just use it as far as, like, my thinking. And I thought this line was going to be 7 or 8 points, and it was 13 when it dropped. And now it's down to 10. Yeah, and so that'll kind of – but that's – so I, I like to see where it, where it initially puts. But, again, sometimes they do that on purpose because they know it's going to move in one way or the other, and they want the money on one side. Cause Once I'm, again, the most money spent on a sporting event is – not the Super Bowl. It's actually right. the NCAA and, tournament. And a lot of the you know the experts, so to speak, out there are, are saying that this Cajun team has a chance. And so, yeah, I do think um, 
Number one, from what I was told by my uh, trusted friend who follows the volunteer program, is that they he doesn't think they score enough to blow a team like UL out. He just thinks that he thinks the game's going to be relatively close regardless, right? And, you know, look, could this be a close game throughout and Tennessee kind of pulls away at the very end with some free throws or some other things? Certainly, but I think the game's generally going to be close. I do think the moment's not going to be too big for this team. I think they've proven that on multiple occasions. I think Jordan Brown... Uh, is a guy who's never really seen a moment that's too big for him, right? When you, when, I think being the son of an athlete also helps with that type of thing. And the Cajuns have a couple of those. Kobe Julian's another one. Correct. So, you know, I think with, with all those things being said, I think Greg Williams is a huge X factor in this game and how healthy he is. And look, everything has said he's going to play. He's going to play. How effective is he going to be, I think, is huge. Because if, like... You're going to need him for defensive purposes. I think think you're going to need him to score. I really do. You're going to need him to score as well. But look, they've used their defense to be able to close out games, and you're going to need Greg out on the court to help with that. You're going to need him for offensive purposes. And Marlon even talked about that when he said, look, our defense has helped close out games, and and look, their defense is going to have to play really good tomorrow night in Orlando to be able to pull off the upset? Not really sure, Dan. I mean, we want to play great defense the entire game, and we've done that a couple times, but we have been good down the stretch. One of my former coaches called me yesterday, and he said, I'm going to tell you something about your team. They're tougher than you think they are. You know, you told me earlier they're not tough, but he said, talking about defensively, but he said, when I watch you play and you have to get stops, you can get them. So I think that ties into what you're saying. And besides keeping them off the free throw line, we haven't figured out how to guard free throws very well. And uh, South Alabama, what Isaiah Moore shot more than our entire team in that game. So we got to do it without fouling, and hopefully we can. I think defensively they're going to frustrate Tennessee. Without Tennessee having their point guard, that's going to play a big role in this. You're right, though, about the size. And if Tennessee's size down low, if they can get Jordan Brown into foul trouble, then it's pretty much game over, right? you got to have JB out there the whole time. If he gets into foul trouble early, this could be bad. Well, if, if he gets into foul trouble, I won't say it's over. If he gets into foul trouble, you better shoot the lights out of the building. Um, and that's going to be difficult. Again, Tennessee defends the three pretty well. Uh, that's, one, that's another one of their strengths. The interesting thing is the strengths offensively and defensively match up. Like tennis, you know, yes. UL, what you all likes to do offensively on both sides, Tennessee is pretty good defensively at those same things and kind of on the same end on the other side. So it's one of those what's going to give here. And the, the thing that I think has to be that's why I said Greg Williams is an X factor, because early in the season and, and throughout the middle portion where he was kind of great in Sunbelt play, when teams started to double Jordan Brown inside and he was kicking out the shooters, and they were knocking down shots. And then teams kind of made an adjustment and said, okay, we're going to try and take away the three-point line and as much of Jordan Brown as we can. It became Greg Williams driving to the basket and finishing. And folks did it at times, but Greg Williams did it consistently. And then that opened up more looks, and it just kind of made this offense flow. If Greg Williams... Now, what happened in the championship game when Greg went out is Themis had his best game of the season offensively. That's not something we've seen consistently from him. Correct. So either A, Themis has to kind of conjure up what he had in the championship game and just be a really good offensive player, hit a couple of outside shots that he has been hesitant to take and be able to drive and finish, or Greg's got to be healthy and he's got to be that guy. So I think if you're able to do that thing, you're going to have a great chance to win this game. I really do. And yeah, to, to, to just to kind of recap on Tennessee's struggles in the tournament, um, 2018 was kind of the, the first time in recent memory where they got back to the NCAA tournament. 
They they beat Wright State in the first round, but then lost to that Loyola Chicago team that everyone went to remembers. the Final Four. Then the next year they beat Colgate and Iowa. This was probably their best team, but they lose to they you know, but they struggled with Colgate and they beat Iowa in overtime. Then they beat they lost to Purdue in overtime, right? In the Sweet Sixteen. 2020, of course, season's canceled. 21, first round against Oregon State, a 12 seed, and they lost by 14. So that's kind of where you're thinking those first round mm-hmm. upsets. Then they beat Longwood handedly in 22, but then got you know kind of handled by Michigan. That was an 11 seed Michigan team that went on a nice run. And now they find themselves playing UL in the first round. So yeah, they have not made it past the Sweet 16 in this era, and they've you know some of those teams probably should have. Remember that Grant Williams team? That's I brought this up on Foot Show yesterday. That Grant Williams team was loaded for Tennessee. I thought they were going to be a Final Four team that year, and it just didn't work out. So history may be on the Cajun side a little bit there, but their history against Tennessee has gone the other way. So, so we'll see if the Raging Cajuns can pull off the upset tomorrow night in Orlando in the opening round of the NCAA Men's Tournament. I like the Cajuns' chances. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. Make no doubt about it. But... I like their chances a lot. We'll talk more about this preview this game with a man who's already in Florida, ready to go, ready to call the game. Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will join us live next right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day on Wednesday. What's your favorite green vegetable that isn't a salad? If my daughter was voting on this poll question, she would vote salad because she ain't down with the other green vegetables. She is not a big green vegetable kiddo. Right now, leading the vote, 71% of you say it's green beans. It's overwhelming. 12% say collard greens. I just think some of y'all just haven't had collard greens done the right way. 6% say spinach, and 11% of you say uh, none. No greens for me. It ain't happening. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to force me. I'm an adult, and I don't have to eat my vegetables anymore. Keep those votes coming and keep those comments, which have been very good so far. We'll get to those, and we'll share those with you as well later on on today's show. Right now, though, it's time for us to get a preview for tomorrow night's NCAA men's tournament game between the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the Tennessee Volunteers with a man who is the voice of the Raging Cajuns. Our old friend Jay Walker joins us. Jay, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? How's Florida treating you so far? Well, you know, by the time this trip is over with, I will have spent more time in the state of Florida the past month than I have in the state of Louisiana. So, um, so so far it's okay. And and I don't get the thing about people not liking green vegetables. I like green vegetables. I'm surprised broccoli did not get a higher mention. I'm also a big asparagus fan. Man loves his green vegetables. He's setting the example for everyone else. Make sure you eat That's your right. veggies. You eat your veggies, you can turn into a well-respected, long-time voice of an athletic uh, department. That's what Jay's done. That's ab- absolutely correct. Listen up, kiddos. Dawson, we're talking to you. 
You have aspirations to be the next Jay Walker. You better eat your veggies. Big green vegetable guy over here right. as well. There we go. Well, and there you go. <laughs> All right, bud. Let's let, let's talk about this matchup because a lot of things Tennessee uh, does well, uh, the Cajuns do well, and, and vice versa. This seems like a very much an even matchup between two teams in the NCAA tournament. What stands out to you about this matchup between the Volunteers and the Raging Cajuns? Well, you know, first of all, it's okay to disagree, okay? Um, I think these teams do have a lot in common. Strengths are strengths. Weaknesses are perhaps weaknesses. But they do it with SEC players. And, you know, quite honestly, Ray, I don't like this matchup. I think that there's a reason why the line is 10.5 while all the other four or 13 matchups are single digits. Um, you know, I think that they might have enough inside to not have to double Jordan. We'll find out. And, you know, this team just makes it so hard for you to get a shot. They turn you over 24% of your possessions. That's one of the best, that's one of the best uh, statistics in America as far as being able to turn people over. So it is, um, I don't, I don't think it's a great matchup. Um, we'll see, you know, let's go play. You don't think, you, you don't think them without one of their best players, their point guard, you, you don't think that's, that's a game changer in this matchup? Um, well, you know, I'm guessing that the backup is probably equal to the point guard that we have. Um, you know, I mean, you're talking about, SEC caliber players here. And, you know, if the Cajuns are going to win this game, and by by no means don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying for a second the Cajuns can't win this game. But I, I really think that they're going to have to play their best game of the year, and they're probably going to have to shoot it from the perimeter better than they have maybe in the last 10 games. And that's not going to be easy because they are the best, just about the best in America in three-point field goal defense. So besides the defense, and obviously Tennessee also has the size down low, what's going to be the big X factor for the Cajuns to be able to pull out a win, Jay? Shoot it. You know, I I don't want to sound like uh, Troy from Swamp People, but shoot them. Um, they, they're going to have to – they're pro- look, let's think for a minute about upsets that happen in 4-13 matchups. 5-12 matchups. They all have something in common. They got a dude who became a dude and was able to just shoot the basketball from the perimeter and make three-point shots. And I think that that is going to be the key for the Cajuns. If the Cajuns are going to pull an upset here, I think they're going to have to win this game on the perimeter. Going to have to win the game on the perimeter side. So I guess that also means that Greg Williams is going to have to be full go, and he's going to have to contribute on both ends of the court. Well, it would be nice to have him. There's no question. Although I do like the way Jalen Dalcourt has stepped up. Uh, I believe Jalen's very capable uh, of making shots. But it's not just him. You know, Garnett's going to have to make a couple. Joe Charles is going to have to make a couple. Um, you're going to – you're just going to have to shoot it well from downtown, I think, because I don't know that you can count on Jordan to go get you 20 and 12. I – if he does, that's great, but I don't think you can go ahead and count on it. This matchup also kind of 
has historical context as well. Jordan's dad played against Tennessee in the postseason. That's a nice little storyline. And this will be the fourth time Tennessee and UL have faced off in a postseason tournament, third time in the NCAAs. Um, just talk a little bit about, you know, how historically this is kind of a, a nice matchup when they started unveiling it. I thought that was really cool. We'd heard a lot of buzz about that. It's kind of neat from a historical perspective as well, Jay. Yeah, there's a lot of history. Um, you know, Deion Brown uh, played against Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. Dale Ellis was a great player for Tennessee. They won that game by four. Um, there was the phantom foul call in 2000. I saw the. I saw it again yesterday. I wanted to throw up. Um, Brett Smith got a clean pick. There was an official right there watching the play. The guy behind the play called the foul. It was a terrible call. And um, Cajuns lost by five. Maybe the one that hurt the most, though, was the NIT game. Uh, in uh, 85, Cajuns had a five-point lead, and they were at the free-throw line with about 27 seconds left. Now, there were no three-point shots back then, so that's a three-possession game with 20, uh, 27 seconds, whatever it was, left. And the Cajuns missed the front end of two one-and-ones and then got a five-second call trying to inbounds the ball and lost that game in regulation. That one might have hurt the most, honestly. You're not wrong, brother. You're not wrong. Lots of history and, and none of it good for <laughs> none of it good for the raging Cajuns. Um, I'll, I'll get you out of here with this. Uh, uh, what kind of vegetables do you think your, your your boy from the swamp people likes? By any chance, you, you brought them up, so I have to ask. Um, I, I, I'll bet you he goes for greens. I'll bet you he's into <laughs> collard, collard and turnip greens. Uh, Jay, try to stay out of trouble in Florida. I mean, you've been away from home so long. I, you know, you you could, you, you know, yeah. I'm just saying, bud, you got to be careful out there. I I will I will be careful, and I will have you on my mind to thank for that because you gave me the, the fair warning. <laughs> Jay, have fun, enjoy the call. Hopefully, your stay in Florida will last longer, a little bit longer, bud, and it'll go uh, into the weekend. Enjoy the call, my friend. I got plenty of clothes. I'm ready. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though isn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You never disappoint me, listener. Never. Anytime I think I have trepidation, is this poll question going to connect with the people? Are they going to get fired up and give us great comments? And I have some trepidation. You guys just step up as always. Foodie poll question of the week is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. This 
week because of St. Patrick's Day coming up and everyone's trying to be healthier during Lent. What's your favorite green vegetable that isn't a salad? Can't choose salad. Right now, 66% of you say green beans. 13% say spinach. 11% say collard greens. 10% say none. No greens for me. B-Rad says, yuck. The foodie question has hit the bottom of the barrel. Well, at least there's nowhere to go but up. My man's not about not about them veggies. Hart says, after Reynolds' call, this could be a two-part question, RP3 Sports. Part two, do you like okra? I feel like a lot of people are on the fence about it. Me personally, big fan. I don't like okra. I actually despise okra. Oh, God. Despise man. okra. Fried okra, even? I didn't. It, no. Oh, goodness. Come no. on now. Nope. Okra in a seafood gumbo? Nope. Hart says that's weird. No. no. You better not have okra anywhere near my gumbo. Are we going to fight? Oh, God. You people. We're going to fight. Grow up. We're going to fight. It's okay to not like okra when you're 10, but when you're an adult, you should like okra. That's my opinion. What? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> There's a lot of things I didn't like when I was 10, but now I like. So that's that's kind of... Oh, it's been a great run, Dawson, here with you at the game. Yeah. <laughs> man says got to grow up. No, I'm a grown man. I don't have to like things. That's this true. is America. Oh, that's fair. Look, this I, is America. There's a few things I don't like. But, what are you, uh, a communist trying to make me like things whoa, I don't wow, like? No, that's an aggressive accusation. <laughs> um, no, I just I think okra is a, a delightful little but vegetable It's in the right situation. I. He, he can't shine in every system, but you put him in the right coat with the right staff behind him, right coaching staff, couple weapons on the outside, and Okra can shine. I, I, I love how you, you, you adjusted there. That's very nice. Bravo, sir. Salty Steve says, D'Lo ate a spinach today. and went straight to his brain and made him very confrontational. Try green beans and chill. Martin says, sweet peas all day long. I don't like peas either. Doug says, love green beans. I've been growing my own for years. Now. If green beans are done right, they are very tasty. I also say the same thing about collard greens. Never really liked collard greens until I had some legit soul food restaurant collard greens, and that'll change your life. Like, that'll change your life when you go, whoo, I never knew this was a possibility. So maybe I just haven't had okra done the right way, D-Lo. Maybe I need to be a little bit more open-minded. How about that? Yeah, Is that well, a nice compromise between you and I? Certainly. <laughs> John Paul says, very interesting question. Don't get to have them very often, but you can't beat uh, a pot of smothered collards and salt meat. There you go. Smothered green beans, a close second. Spinach kind of doesn't fit, eats completely differently. Ralph says, well, since Friday is St. Patty's Day, and I don't consider cabbage a salad ingredient. Sorry, coleslaw. It's cabbage for me. Smothered with ham, cabbage rolls, or casseroles, plus it gives us an iconic dance move. Well, you know, I just want to talk about okra being done right. My roommate... Another one of my roommates at Florida State. I lived with a lot of guys at Florida State. Uh, um, apparently, you lived in a, it sounds like a halfway house, but continue. No, actually. But anyway, um, this was my roommate who actually went to UL. We didn't know each other at UL. It's a long story. I'll explain it one day. Uh, he's from Villeplatte, and his smothered okra that he makes, oh, that, you talk about, you try that and you don't like it, then I'll say, okay, but you got to try it like that first. Shout out to Villeplatte, the Villeplatians. They're my people. I love them. I worked there for two years. That's going to do it for hour number two. Keep those votes coming on the poll question. Keep those comments coming as well. We'll share them throughout today's show. Hour number three coming up. We'll kick it off with the Mad Dog talking all things LSU. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three, which means the final hour has arrived here on RP Three and Company on this Hump Day edition of the show. Make sure to keep voting on our poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. What's your go-to green vegetable that isn't a salad? Can't use salad. St. Patrick's Day is this week. People trying to eat healthier during Lent. At least some people are. Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Coming up also this hour. At 8.30, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us to talk all about the free agent moves involving the New Orleans Saints guys staying, guys being poached, and where does the team go from here, and how does this change their draft approach? We'll talk about that with Andrew coming up at 8.30. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things LSU with the Mad Dog himself, the columnist, for Tiger Details, our good friend Ron Higgins. Mad Dog, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I'm just wonderful, Raymond. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> and before you even ask, the green vegetable is broccoli. Oh, that's your go-to. That's the go-to. The broccoli, yeah. It, it, it kind of gives me an idea of, of, of some sort of health in my body. Yeah. <laughs> now, but, but broccoli with no cheese. With no cheese. Oh, no cheese. Because that's what I was going to ask you. Is the broccoli covered in Velveeta no. cheese? That defeats the whole purpose at all. I mean, people go, "Well, I eat broccoli," and then they just pour like a like a, a bucket of cheese over it. Oh, it's it's healthy. It's, it really is. It's a green. Oh, all right. Uh, anytime cheese comes out of a can of a jar, it's probably not uh, uh, exactly like, healthy. It's just in, just in my chip. Why you on there? Just throw some chips on there. Have chips and broccoli, okay? You know, okay. Uh, hey, all right, so. LSU women, they get the three seed, uh, pretty much a coin flip between them and Utah. I think the non-conference schedule hurt them in that right. Uh, I don't think it really matters. Um, either way, uh, they'll have to uh, defeat Indiana if they want to make it you know, to the final four. Uh, let's talk about the first round, Matt. Well, let's talk about the bracket. How do you think it uh, works out for Kim Mulkey's team? I like their bracket. They, 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 used to, they need to come and play angry, you know, play angry. Uh, uh, I don't want to see all the gestures and talk and all the too small stuff. Just go play. Go play. All right? Play and have fun. Be yourself and don't be obnoxious. And just just, just go rip some tail like, like you can. Uh, and they can. They, they need to come in. Uh, I, I really thought it, it – uh, the SEC tournament, they got a little, got up seventeen, got a little bit lazy, and, and I think it. I think the 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 when your head coach basically says the tournament really doesn't matter before it even starts in the back of your mind, it's in there like okay, we lost. I mean, we won't, we don't like to lose. I mean, but it's okay. Uh, you know, and as it turned out, I might have knocked them down a seed, uh, but they need to come out and just you know. Do what they do, you know. Play hard, uh, be aggressive. Everybody contribute. Uh, I like their bracket. I mean, I'm, uh, 
Indiana's a, a veteran team, but it doesn't mean LSU can't win if they get that far. Uh, I, I do definitely think they'll get to the Sweet 16, uh, and then they'll go from there. I think, they'll, I think Utah's on their side of the bracket, I believe. Yeah, Utah's uh, the two seed, so they'd have to play them in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Uh, I like I like their bracket. I really do. I think they got they got a shot here. Uh, uh, if they come in and play focused, and I said with with motivation, uh, and you know a lot of teams say use the disrespect card. I really think LSU can truly is what a team's been disrespected all year. Honestly, people look at people look at the non conference schedule and blowing them off. They lost one game in the, in the best conference in America, you know, and and people like, nah, they're not that good. They, they're not. They, they you know, all, all their all their statistics are inflated. Look, Angel Reese's double doubles are inflated. <laughs> you know, no sir, uh, their statistics aren't inflated. Uh, uh, they virtually won every close game they play. They they've lost two games. One to the best team in America was which I really can't see him losing a game, South Carolina. And the Tennessee game where, again, you, when your head coach kind of comes out and says before the tournament, we don't really, you know, I don't know why we even playing. It kind of sends a subliminal message to your team. Like, it's okay. We play hard, we lose, man. So what? But, Ron, uh, the, the, that was kind of the message last year too, right? And then they struggled in the opening round at home against Jackson State and then lose to Ohio State, do you think the team will avoid having those letdowns in the first and second round of the NCAA tournament this time around? If they don't beat Hawaii by at least 30, I'll be I'll be disappointed. Hawaii, Hawaii is, honestly, Hawaii is not very good at all. Uh, and, uh, no, I don't think there's going to be a letdown. I think they'll... I mean, not not this time around. But plus, they got look. Honestly, they got this got better players. Like they have better players than they had last year. It's true. They have much better players on the inside. Uh, you know, she's basically redone her roster twice in two years, uh, and getting better players every year. And next year, it's be the same thing. Next year, you have me. <laughs> even you know, uh, you lose some uh, you know some really good senior transfer this year, but she'll plug in just as good or better players next year. Plus, a a great recruiting class out of high school, uh, right? So she she's getting some I, of the best. And I agree with her. I mean, she's talking earlier. I mean, uh, talking this week about about how uh, uh, some people have them in the final four. No, I mean, I never, I never. If this team gets in the final four, it, it'll be it'll be a, a nice surprise. It's it's a good team. I always thought it could get to the Sweet Sixteen and then see what happens, uh, but. Uh, you know, Kim's really good at, 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 I guess, crafting her message. You know, it's all, it's all. You know, the media has us in the final four. Well, Kim, I'm media. I don't have you in the final four, by the way. <laughs> uh, but we we we, we but know why really she team. right. We know why she does she does it. She uses it as as motivation. She's and, the best at it. I mean, she really she's really good at the at, at the message and. And she's right. She's way ahead of schedule for her program. She really is. Uh, I agree with that. So we'll see what happens. I like their bracket. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, you know, uh, but the LSU men's team, what are they doing this week? Oh, they're on vacation. I'm sorry. 
on on vacation. I want to get your perspective on something. Let's let's pivot from the women's team and let's talk about the men's team because former men's coach Will Wade has now been hired at McNeese. And I went to the press conference and I interviewed Will back in the day and sat in those press conferences like you did at LSU. Uh, I remember being in Nashville to cover the team at the SEC tournament when Will Wade was suspended. Uh, he seems... He still, you know, got a little bit of that 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 cocky charm, but he does seem to be a little bit different to me on how he answered questions. He was somewhat forthcoming. And, you know, when Benice is trying to be proactive and suspending him for five games. Uh, my question to you is, what do you think about Will Wade at McNeese? And does he being in the state put any pressure on Matt McMahon and Will Wade's former team to kind of get it together? Now, LSU fans will say, uh, no, it doesn't matter. But I say, hell yeah. <laughs> Look, Will Wade is a really good basketball coach. No matter how, what do you think of him personally, and personally, I like him. The only thing Will Wade was guilty was he got caught. And he got caught on something that's legal now. Uh, and I find it fascinating that McNeese hired him what do they know that LSU doesn't know? I mean, if, if he's not getting mm-hmm. that, that much sanctions, what do they know? I guarantee you, that, look, look, the real way still has a ton of fans here in Baton Rouge, and they're still not happy with uh, LSU firing him. Uh, look, look, LSU fired him to save their button football violations. Oh, that's, that's, that's all they did, Okay. You know, he, Will Wade was a sacrificial lamb to save the football violations, okay, that happened. Uh, you know, the guy run the CEO of the Children's Hospital, uh, making payments to a parent of a, uh, of a football lineman who shouldn't have been paid because he wasn't that good. Uh, I, I hate paying for guys who are not a good investment. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and so he, he ends up being the, really the sacrificial lamb in all this. Uh I, I enjoyed Will Wade. I enjoyed covering him. His teams were all over the place, but they they were talented. Uh, and I hope he does well. I'm I'm glad he got hired. I I, I I I thought it was a bit too much that he got nailed for, but he like he was a, he was a sacrificial lamb for everything. It was bad timing. He was a sacrificial lamb for the football program. He was a, a sacrificial lamb for all the stuff that went wrong. Uh, at LSU, with I mean, all the all the football program, the uh, you know the assaults and all that report, you know the all, all the all the Title IX stuff on campus that came all together in a report and and put a black cloud over LSU. So you know, LSU's new president decided, look, we're just going to purge everybody that's a, that we 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 perceive as bad for our image, our brand. So Will Wade got got canned, you know. He could have not got canned. They could have said they could have looked at his contract and said, "Okay, we're not going to hold you to the fact that you know, when you resign the contract, you said if you if you just got named in violations without being determined you're guilty, or not we could fire you." They they could have kept him, but uh, they didn't. You know, they hired Matt McMahon, and and and, and good luck with that. So uh, <laughs> good luck. Good, good, good luck with that. And you know what? He, he is going to win at McNeese. You and I both know that, right? Oh, I, oh yes, he will. 
yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he, he's going to win. And if you get one really good player, maybe two in the Southland Conference, you can turn things around from being a 5-6 win team to a 20 win team in one season. It, it happens all the time. And he's going to turn around McNeese in a heartbeat and it's going to make them a, a, a very good program out of the Southland Conference. All right, bud, I'll get you out of here with one more. LSU baseball, really, the, the, the schedule has been it, – it, look, it, it's been what it is. And they've dominated everyone they've played, essentially. We're going to learn a lot more about this team, aren't we, this weekend when they have to go to College Station to open up SEC play and then next week when they're at home versus Arkansas, right? Yeah. I mean, they, these are two teams in the World Series we've cut last, last year. Both teams are in the World Series, so I think – AM's ranked, I think, I don't know what, 11th, 15th right now. Arkansas is 7th, like, like that in the polls. Uh, they'll find out what they have. I, I, honestly, I think they have a lot. Uh, I know people look at these games like they're playing nobody, but they've played people that they've played before and didn't, and, and, and didn't put them away like they put them away. Uh, this team is deep. It's, it's, it's lineup is ridiculously. The, 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 the batting order is stupid. The options that Jay Johnson has is stupid. The pitching staff is deep. Uh, yeah, this team should win. I mean, and and even league as good as the SEC, it should be pretty good. Uh, you know, it's not going to, you know, have your blowouts, but it has enough to to win games when games are tight. You know, we saw the Texas game. You know, that uh, you know LSU held to nothing, nothing in the ninth, and hit a home run to win the game. I, I, I think it's a veteran team, uh, has good leadership. It doesn't panic. Uh, it has a lot of options you can go to in the bullpen, the pitching. And now it gets real. So, you know, I, again, I just think there's an element out there who doesn't believe me nationally who believe LSU isn't that good. They look at their non-conference schedule. Well, who the hell plays anybody in non-conference in, in college baseball? You play a couple of teams that maybe they're good than the rest of them or, you know, you know, you, uh, you know, it's like taking batting practice. Uh, so, you know, look, we're going to look that this team's immensely talented. They haven't been tested, not really, but they're going to be. And I think that's going to be good for them to have their SEC schedule be what it is right off the bat, right? It's at A&M, then it's at home versus Arkansas. Then the next weekend, it's at home versus Tennessee. I mean, boom, boom, boom. I mean, right off the bat, we're talking about two teams that went to the World Series last year and another team that was the number one seed overall that got upset before getting to Omaha. So, uh, you know, if they win those three weekend series, I mean, we're we're going to stand back and go, this may be one of the best LSU teams we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it still has a, you know, a whole conference schedule to go through, but from what we've seen so far, uh, the, the domination has been really, really easy. The, the, uh, it's just there's no easy out in the in the in the, in the lineup, uh, which is you know if you're a pitcher it's a nightmare. There's no easy out, uh, and, and you got guys. Okay, I'm not gonna we're gonna walk Dylan Cruz because you know we, we gotta be careful with him. Oh hell, Tommy White's coming to play. <laughs> you know, like last night. I mean, they walked Dylan Cruz and they put Tommy and they, and, and they took out. And, Relief pitcher, you know, put a relief pitcher into the second pitch. Tommy White Jackson left. I mean, left field stands for a home run. I mean, what do you do? I mean, in, in front of and, and in front of uh, Cruz, there's Trey, Trey Morgan. In front of him, there's Gavin Dugas. It's just it's it's in, in, the batting order is insane. The pitching is deep. 
but now it gets real. And now you go to College Station and, I get, and you play a team that's uh, uh, LSU lost two or three last year at AM. They lost, they were swept by uh, Arkansas. So but you're going to find out right away uh, if they're, they're legit. And, I, and Bud, from what I, Bud, I got to go, but you know what? You know who's legit, and I never have to worry about who keeps it real? That's you, Bud. That's you. Well, thank you. Right now, I'm going to go eat some broccoli on my cornflakes <laughs> right now and make me feel healthy. <laughs> I'll see you Friday night, bud, at the PMAC. <laughs> oh, yeah. See you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. He's playing good. He wasn't in the lineup. And uh, midway through BP, uh, CJ's back, he, he got spasmed. We had lifted as a team. We always do before games. We lift. And uh, CJ's back spasmed up. CJ was in that six hole playing second. And so uh, John's a late addition there and, and uh, thought he was a great spark for us tonight. So that was Coach Matt Deggs talking about John Taylor last night, who was a late addition to the lineup. Uh, the audio there, uh, I don't know. It didn't come out any better. I uh, What I tried to do there is I was lower... Gonna, you, you have to explain. I was gonna, uh, we, we'll talk off the air. You, yeah. just, you talk about the game. Anyway, um, so John Taylor, late addition to the lineup, and he hits a three-run home run inside the park in the very first inning, which was a ball that carried to deep center and just kept going. Um, and I thought it was kind of a, a routine flyout when he hit it. Wind was kind of blowing out, which he gave a little description of later on. He was telling us about the wind patterns um, at Russo Park. So shout out to John for that. Um, and it just kept carrying and went over the center fielder's head and actually went off the top of the wall. I think it kind of surprised the center fielder as well because he, he misplayed it a little bit. Um, and then it rolled back into play, and John Taylor just basically never stopped, never slowed down. So he was a nice spark offensively. It ended up being all you needed because the pitching on this night was dominant, um, which – this is a Jackson State team that came in averaging over nine runs a game. Um, they have played a bit of a soft schedule, but they're twelve and two, and they have scored a ton of runs. Which, again, I mean that doesn't happen unless you can hit the ball. So um, they came out, and, and and this Cajun pitching staff really attacked them, and they were pretty pretty dominant. But you know, John Taylor, he's a guy who's been in and out of the lineup, right? He hasn't been, in, and as Coach Deggs even mentioned, he wasn't in the lineup yesterday. C.J. Willis ends up getting hurt pregame. So you plug John Taylor in, and he provides a spark. And, you know, I, it was kind of him and Cooper Rawls were the two stars of the night. So afterwards, we got John Taylor's perspective on uh, Cooper Rawls' performance. Cooper always come out there. He's a dog. Uh, that's my boy right there. And every time he comes out, he's pumping strikes, commanding three pitches. He's just a dog out there. Great defense behind him. Uh, shock at third, Debo at short. You know, Rocco and Hoodie. 
and Bayon out in, out in the outfield. You can't much get much by them. So uh, got a little help, but he was very dominant out there on the mound. Great job to him. I love the confidence, obviously. I mean, the confidence is amazing. And look, it's a midweek game against Jackson State. They had been playing well, uh, you know, getting runs. But it is a midweek game uh, from a team out of the swack. But you like what you see. And having a guy come off the bench, essentially, and give you what you need at the last minute because of an injury to another guy, Love that. And we've talked about the depth that this team has with its bats. And it was on display yet again last night there at Russo Park. Yeah, and I think another big thing about last night, you're going into a five-game week, and the Cajuns are going to do this twice in a row. They're going to play two midweek games into conference series. Um, If I was a coach, would I do that heading into conference play? Maybe not, because I would kind of be more focused on trying to get off to a good start in the the very deep Sunbelt Conference. I would maybe do this maybe earlier in the season. But I think Coach Dex is kind of trying to test his ball club here and say, look, and we've talked about this in the past, you have to win five games in five days or you know, roughly that amount when you go to the Sunbelt Tournament. Um, you have to be able to play that many games. We talked about this with a lot with Bob Marlin's team and how the Asheville Tournament prepared them for Pensacola. Well, these five-game weeks are kind of a, an example of that. You're going to play Tuesday, Wednesday. You're going to have one off day on Thursday, and then you're going to play a three-game series on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So pitching is at a premium. And what you had last night, Blake McGee, coming back from injury, he gets the start. He only goes two innings. He was on a strict pitch count. He only he was supposed to only throw 30 pitches. He actually threw 33, which Coach Tegg said, you know, actually might get him in a little trouble for going him a few pitches over there. But he was great out of the out of the you know as a starter. And then what you got was Cooper Rawls give you five strong innings. So that saves the bullpen um, by not having to use seven or eight different guys last night to piece together a bullpen game. And now you head to Biloxi to play an SEC opponent, in Mississippi State with a mostly fresh pitching staff, and then you can head into the weekend, hopefully, at Arkansas State and kind of focus in on uh, what's going to be an important conference series to try to get things going in the right direction. Right. They got Mississippi State tonight in Biloxi and the Hancock-Whitney Classic that they're doing down there. They're playing that game at the home of the Biloxi Shuckers. That'll be tonight, and then they'll have Arkansas State to open up Sunbelt Conference play this coming weekend. So an interesting week. Uh, look, I know Mississippi State has had you know some struggles, but if you can take down an SEC team, one that what won the College World Series two years ago, <laughs> uh, that, that's that's a nice little feather in the cap. I don't care if it's a midweek game or not. Oh, and Mississippi State's won six in a row and run their record at twelve and five after a slow start. Slow, slow start. They seem to be playing a much better baseball. So that would be a, a great challenge tonight. And then, obviously, you open up Sunbelt Conference play this weekend there at Russo Park at the Teague. So, and we'll have you covered for all of that as well at 1037thegame.com this coming weekend. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk Saints. Lots of guys are being poached away by teams, in particular other NFC South teams. What do we make of that? What do we make of the Michael Thomas restructured one-year deal? And what did the Saints do with the draft? We'll talk all about that with Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. He joins us live next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 
1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It has been a busy start to free agency for the New Orleans Saints. Not only did they get Derek Carr as their franchise quarterback, they were able to redo the contract of Michael Thomas, team-friendly one-year deal. But they've also seen several of their own players getting poached by, well, let's be honest, seems like the entire NFC South. To dive into that and how does that change what the Saints do with the upcoming NFL draft is our friend from the Saints Half Hour podcast, Andrew Juge, joins us now. Andrew, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Andrew, how are you, bud? We're having some difficulties getting Andrew on here once again while we work on that. Derek Carr's been brought in. They signed him to the to the deal, got him under contract. They got their new franchise quarterback. They've restructured the deal with Michael Thomas. Got that taken care of. But, you know, you do have some guys that have left. You got to figure out who's going to play D-tackle. You got to do that because you don't have any because Shy Tuttle's now in Carolina. And you got Anyamata in Atlanta. And you got Marcus Davenport up in Minnesota. And Kate Nellis is now over in Atlanta as well. Now joining us here on RP3 and Company is Andrew Juge of the Saints Half Hour Podcast. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Grammy, can you hear me? Yeah, bud. All right, good. Uh, yeah, everything's good, man. And uh, listen, uh, I- I'm surprised Tampa hasn't jumped in the mix yet and pushed a bunch of Saints players because it seems to be the thing to do in the NFC South. It is in vogue right now. That's what you need to do. So, all right, let's let's talk about the departures before we talk about the, the guys they've added. So, it's, you know, you can't keep everyone. And the Saints weren't going to pay Anyamata what he got from Atlanta. Kay Nellis was a seventh-round draft pick that went from a special teamer who was nicked up to a guy that had a very good season as the number three linebacker, but he was still the number three linebacker. And Shai Tuttle was a rotational defensive lineman who was an undrafted guy that they developed. Uh, And Marcus Davenport, someone agreed to pay him $13 million, so good for him. I get that it's disappointing. I get that it's not optimal. But haven't the Saints and Mickey Loomis shown over and over again in the last 20 years that, yeah, even when they lose players in free agency, they find a way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think just in terms of the capital that they've spent to acquire these guys, and I'll throw Andy Dalton in the mix, obviously, who was a $3 million backup quarterback. He goes to Carolina, so he's another one that that has been poached. And uh, look, first of all, the bounty of draft capital, of draft comp picks that you're going to get out of losing these five guys is going to be nice. So uh, on the other side of this, the Saints will see some draft picks. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Look, Shy Tuttle, undrafted. Uh, he's a guy, like you said, the Saints developed. Uh, Caden Ellis was a late round pick that they developed. And again, neither of these guys were hallmarks of the defense. Now, Davenport's a little different for me because he he's a guy they invested two first round picks in. 
I don't know that you would necessarily label him a bust in the way that some other first round picks in Saints history have busted. Uh, but he was absolutely a disappointment. And when you consider the investment of a second first round pick into him, I think it makes it even worse. So, but I think if you look at all these, the comp in isolation, like you said, they're not spending 12 million a year on Onyemata. They're not spending $13 million on Marcus Davenport. Uh, seven million, three years, 21 million for Shy Tuttle is, is shocking to me. The fact that he was able to get $20 million is a testament to the defensive tackle market, I guess. And, you know, two years, 10 million is a lot more than they spent on Andy Dalton last year. So, uh, I don't know, especially given the Saints' salary cap, I don't know that backup kind of fringe players on the roster are guys that you would want to invest this amount of capital in. Uh, now, there's no denying that. With Davenport and Onyemata in particular, those guys were starters on the defensive line. And so they have to replace them. But those guys were disappointments. And I just – I don't think it's good business to overpay. Even I, – I would say this, Raymond. If the Saints didn't have their cap situation, if they were struggling with cap realities, I don't know that I would bring those players back at the salaries they got. And, and I would look elsewhere. So uh, – but there's no doubt that they have to be replaced on some level – the defense, especially up front, feels a little gutted. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here because some of the contracts that have been put out there, I mean, look, let's, let's put it plainly. If Shy Tuttle is getting three years, $20 million, uh, then it's going to be hard to find a guy that can replace him on the cheap that'll be an upgrade. Yeah, on the cheap, but you could probably find a better guy and you'll pay a little bit more, but you're going to get a better quality player. So, that's where I think it is, and you know. Also, they'll address they'll address a lot of this with the draft. Let me focus in on Ellis. You know, for a lot of Saints fans, that's the one that hurt um, the other day when when the news broke, and I understand that. But he was a guy that they developed into that role, and he finally had a breakout season. He's going to get paid. Could Jackson, the kid out of App State who missed all of last year due to injury, could he be that guy? Once again, we're talking about the number three linebacker here. DeMario and Pete Werner are your starters. Kay Nellis was your number three. So it's not like they lost DeMario Davis this week or even lost Cam Jordan. They lost Caden Ellis. So can't they just develop one of those guys or find a late-round guy that could develop into a number three? Well, Caden Ellis played really well for them. And so I, I think, look, if, if you have injuries to your top two guys, then it becomes a problem pretty quickly. But uh, you're right. Caden Ellis is a nice to have. He's not a have to have. And you have two starters and you don't spend $7 million a year for your third linebacker because really only the top two play consistently. So, uh, look, you did mention Zach Bond, and that's a guy I still believe in, actually. You know, he's still learning the position and it's really hard to make that adjustment from defensive end to linebacker. And I feel like he's made strides, but, you know, he, he, he's played well against the run, and that's always been Ellis's calling card. He, he plays the run well, and he can blitz. And I still think if you look at Zach Bond's skill set, if you look at what he did in college, play the run well and blitz are things that I think Zach Bond can do. So I still think, and you mentioned Jackson, I think they have some existing solutions that, look, there's no way around it. If there's an injury, those guys will have to step up. They'll get more opportunities, and they'll have to play up to those opportunities. But, uh, look, I, I don't know that those guys on paper are that different from Caden Ellis. Caden Ellis is a guy that was talented, that had some potential, that took a while to develop. And in his contract year, in his fourth year, he stepped up, guys got injured, and he played great. And 
maybe that scenario is going to be similar for Jackson or for Zach Bond this year, and they'll have to step up in a similar situation and play at that level. And uh, it remains to be seen whether they will or not. But again, I don't know from a talent perspective or from a potential perspective that the guys that they have in the building are that different of a situation. How surprised were you that Jameis Winston agreed to come back to be the backup quarterback for the Saints? You know, I don't have a good enough vocabulary, Raymond, to describe how stunned I was. Uh, so maybe someone more eloquent than me, like you, can. <laughs> maybe I need to read. Maybe I need to read more of these books behind me. But uh, <laughs> I, I just, I mean, flabbergasted. I guess is, is the uh, vocabulary word I would use. Uh, I, I was stunned, and uh, the reality with Jameis Winston is, you know, there was a rift between the team and the player, between the coach and the player. Uh, I, I didn't know how both sides could recover from this. And to be honest, the writing felt like it was on the wall from both sides. So for the saints to approach Jameis Winston with, Hey, we would love for you to be our backup, but we need to reduce your salary. I get that. That's a salary cap play. That's a financial decision for Jameis Winston to be open to it and say, you know what? I'm going to take this instead of going to free agency and looking for another opportunity. Uh, I, I did not see that coming. I, I'll be honest. I didn't see Michael Thomas coming back either. So uh, that's maybe one of the biggest upsets of this whole period so far as Michael Thomas and Jameis Winston coming back to the Saints for 2023. Uh, two or three weeks ago, I would have given you a 1% chance of that playing out. That leads me to my next question, which you typically do because you're smart and you read all those books behind you. You're a big <laughs> brainy guy. Um, Michael Thomas not only does he redo his deal, Andrew, he does a team-friendly one-year deal, which benefits the Saints and benefits him. I was stunned by that as well. Obviously, it shows that he wants to prove that he can still play and earn himself another big payday, whether that's with the Saints or whoever else. I think he's also excited to play with Derek Carr. What, what do you make of that, and how does that change the offseason as a whole for the Saints? Well, I think, look, first of all, I, I think that's a masterful job by Mickey Loomis to make that happen. Anytime you can get out of a, let's let's face it, a disastrous contract, anytime you can get out of that and manage to retain the player uh, is is very hard to do. And, and most people don't do it. And the Saints basically just did it twice in the same offseason with Jameis and Michael Thomas. So uh, it makes you wonder if Mickey Loomis can do this again in the future to get out of other bad contracts. But, uh, look, I was impressed by that. Uh, I do think it's a big deal if Michael Thomas can stay healthy, and that's a big if. And, and I think at this point, uh, if I'm gambling in Vegas, I'm betting on Michael Thomas getting injured again because over the last three years, that's what he's done consistently. Uh, but at least now uh, the Saints are in a situation where they have an incentive-laden deal where they're not investing as much in Michael Thomas. They kind of get out of the pressure of the long-term deal, and either it works out and Michael Thomas will hit a big payday in free agency next year or he gets injured again and – you know, he's going to have to face those realities in free agency. But either way, uh, the Saints are much more protected. And the upside here is pretty tremendous because we know if Michael Thomas can stay healthy, and again, it's a big if, but if he does, uh, he, he can be a tremendous asset to this offense. And you love Rashid Shahid, you love Olave, but those are field stretchers. And you need a contested catch guy. You need a guy that can move the chains. And when healthy, that is absolutely Michael Thomas. And when you look at Derek Carr and that addition to this team, I think that's going to make a huge difference for him and his ability to perform as the quarterback of the Saints. So uh, I know he's very happy to have Michael Thomas. It seems like Michael Thomas is very excited to work with Carr. Uh, so, so far, 
from a culture and just psychological aspect, I feel like things are at a really good place between Thomas and the team. And again, that's not something that I would have expected. We saw a lot of thinly veiled uh, displeasure comments on social media from Thomas about the medical staff and maybe how his injuries were treated. So for him to come back, much like Jameis Winston, after all the discord and disharmony, it's surprising to see, but a welcome sight. Only got about a minute left, bud, but it's yours. With the defections on defense being poached by NFC South teams and what they've done offensively with Carr and Michael Thomas and bringing back Winston, uh, what is their going to? What's their approach now going to be with those first two round picks that they have upcoming in the draft? In your opinion? Well, first of all, I still think like right now they have one defensive tackle on the roster. So if we were starting today, Raymond, you're 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 starting at defensive tackle, and Taysom Hill's probably rotating in. So. <laughs> Uh, they, they need to get defensive tackles, and I think they need to do that before the draft because my biggest fear is that they go into the draft without defensive tackles, which forces the issue. And then we're back to going to get their guy and trading up so they don't lose out on a guy. And I don't I don't think the Saints want to be in a position like that again. So they, they may very well still do it. But at the end of the day, for me, I look at this roster right now, and I still think running back is a major need. And obviously defensive tackle is a huge need that's been created as well. Um, so – I think they need to address that in free agency and the draft. Uh, but to me, those are the two spots they need to pay particular interest to. Andrew, always appreciate your time and your insight, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you guys are doing with the Saints Happy Hour podcast. We'll talk to you next week, bud. How about that? Always a pleasure. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We got a few minutes here, so I want to touch on what Andrew said there about the Saints. Uh, look, uh, about the Panthers, I don't believe the D-tackle market is that way. And, and here's my rationale. They overpaid for Andy Dalton. They overpaid for Shai Tuttle. They gave up a ton to get up to number one. Their mindset is they're going to do whatever it takes right now, right? Trade multiple picks, trade one of your starting wide receivers to get up to go get the number one overall pick. Overpay for a backup veteran quarterback. Overpay for a detail. Carolina's mindset is money is just a thing right now. It doesn't matter. We're going to do whatever it takes to build this roster. So I don't think Carolina is the barometer for the D tackle market, Is I guess is what I'm saying. I was hoping your comments were going to be about how he said you were going to be starting at D tackle. I thought maybe you were excited. I mean, look, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 300. They, they, they could use me. I need to work on the upper body strength. I got, I got, I got all the strength in the legs. So, <laughs> yes, I'm flattered. So I don't think that should be. I don't think that should make Saints fans worry. I think what the Saints are going to do. Now they got Thomas situation done. They got the backup quarterback done. Starting quarterback done. That's all taken care of. You're going to see Mickey and company go sign a running back, a veteran running back, and they're going to go sign a veteran D-tackle before the draft. 
Because Andrew's exactly right on his point of you don't want to have to draft by need and then have to make a ridiculous trade to go get the guy you want. Go address running back and D-tackle, get one of each of those guys, and then take best player available. And if that is D-tackle at 29, great. Go get you a D-tackle at 29. If it's an edge rusher, get you an edge rusher. If it's a running back, get your running back. That way it puts you in a better position. But I don't think Carolina and how they're overpaying and over-trading for things should be an indicator of what the market is because they were able to get Michael Thomas and Jameis Winston both to take team-friendly deals to come back. Once again, what do I always say? Trust Mickey. Just trust Mickey. That's all you got to do, really. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Ron Higgins, columnist from Tiger Details, The Mad Dog, and, of course, Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour Podcast. Our poll question of the day on Wednesdays is our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite green vegetable that isn't salad? You can't go with salad. Overwhelmingly, go ahead and put the belt on them. Green beans wins with 65% of the vote. 16% said spinach. 10% said none. No greens for me. 9% say collard greens. Uh, my daughter texted me uh, while she was on her way to school and uh, said anamame is her jam. That's her favorite. And it's also her mama's favorite. Mr. Green says, okay, cabbage for sure is my go-to for St. Patty's Day meal along with fried cabbage and sausage. Robert says, only greens I eat is green beans. That's not a bad, that's not a bad comment. Thanks to all who commented and voted on the poll question of the day. We appreciate you making us part of your morning. That'll do it for us. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.